My intention, by the way, through my preaching, through my teaching, is to know your Bible. That's, that's all. So, a, a, a lot of people, we have to admit, come to church. I'm not talking about ourselves, just I'm stereotyping the church, unfortunately, now, in the, in the 21st century. A lot of people are coming to church for entertainment. Okay? Even when you hear the preaching of the word, mostly the preaching these days, around the world, I say, it's the preacher tells a story, accompanies the story with a few verses of scripture, and tells some jokes. It's very shallow. It doesn't really delve into knowing what's in scripture, what the Bible says. And so I'm not like that. I'm, I'm more of a, I want to get to know my Bible, okay? And this is more me than you even. I love this job because I'm discovering more. I've actually discovered more in my life as a Christian since I've become a pastor. I've learned more. I've actually changed my theology quite a lot since I've become a pastor. And one such, one such thing that I'm talking about today, I've been, I've been, I've been what's the word? I guess struggling just to comprehend my theology regarding this particular subject for over a decade. I've been doing it for over a decade. And only just recently, I've just, I feel comfortable with what I believe. Again, it's about who God is. Know your Bible, know your God. That's the ultimate goal. Know your God, know who you are in Christ. Best thing I can do to prepare you for what's coming ahead in the coming years. Best thing I can do to prepare you. So what I was going to say is this proverb I have. I just want to really let you know on why I'm trying us, you individually, to have the discussion. It's because of this. A great proverb. I might be taken out of context, but I think you can fit it into what I'm trying to do here. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And something happened to me um, this week, and um, we've been having a very interesting discussions on Wednesday nights regarding 1 John 1. And the whole group there were not in full agreement. But what happened this week is that I received quite a lengthy email from someone that expressed why they believe, so they were in disagreement with me, they expressed why they believe what they believe. And you know what? That email, that message helped me understand my perspective more than it was before even though I still disagree with what this person sent me. I've got to figure that out. And I can't tell you what part of the email helped me understand my perspective better, but it gave me a firmer understanding. It's like iron sharpening iron. It was good. That's what I'm trying to get. I'm, I'm trying to get you to help me more. Because if I'm wrong, well, I want to know about it. And the most respectful thing, the most loving thing you could do to me, you could do for me, is if you are convinced 
that what I'm saying is wrong. And don't let me just do my own thing and let me think that I'm wrong. At least let's have the discussion. And yes, we still might disagree in the end, but that's okay. It's just about iron sharpening iron, us sharpening each other to really get to know who our God is. And so that's, again, uh, where I'm coming from with um, imploring you to have the conversations. One more thing I want to say before I start the message is this. 1 Corinthians 13.2. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and get this, and possessed all knowledge. This is not about gaining knowledge. Okay? Just that. Because if I possess all the knowledge of the whole Bible, but I don't love others, I am nothing. Absolutely pointless, right? It's absolutely pointless if I know absolutely everything about my Bible and I do not show love one to another. It's meant to stir us up to love one another more. That's the intention as well. I thought I'd, I'd mention that. Um, before I go into verse 9, verse 9, that if you confess, and, and that's where I'm going to st- stop uh, with, with two parts. So firstly, I, I've discovered that this verse is used to preach a particular doctrine of salvation, regarding salvation. And it's something that, I want us to explore this morning. But the verse is that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're talking about how you can be saved. This is what we need to teach, preach to the lost, right? So we need to know how, we, how to get saved. And so there's two interesting things about this. The first one we'll preach this week, we'll talk about this week. The second one we'll talk about next week. The first one is um, that this verse is used to teach a particular salvation called Lordship Salvation. Lordship Salvation. And so the title of this morning's message is Why I Am No Longer a Lordship Salvationist. Which means, I used to be one. I used to use this verse. Uh, No, I didn't use this verse actually. Because I didn't really know that this verse was part of it, of why you believe what Lordship Salvation. So if you're in the room and you haven't even heard of this, don't, don't worry, it's okay. Um, again, the, the, the hard thing about my job is I'm, 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 I'm speaking to all different kinds of people at all different levels, in all different levels of maturity in their faith, with their knowledge of who God is and all that. And so if you are new to Christianity... All I ask is that you bear with us, bear with me, and just hang in there. God won't reveal everything to you at the, same, at the, at the one time, but um, this is just something that will get you to think, particularly if you um, hold to being a lordship salvationist yourself. So firstly, what is lordship salvation? Lordship salvation. Um, I grabbed a quote from a guy called Robert P. Leitner, who wrote a book called Sin, the Saviour and Salvation. 
And I actually did a spelling mistake because he's an American, and so Savior is not I-O-U-R, it's O-R, um, I-O-R, rather. But he says, Lordship salvation refers to the belief which says, says that the sinner who wants to be saved must not only trust Christ as his substitute for sin, okay? so this is what I believe the gospel is, I trust Christ for my substitute for sin, but must also surrender every area of his life to the complete control of Christ. That's what lordship salvation is. So when you read verse 9 in your Bibles, we have confessed Jesus as Lord, Lord, which you could just say is sovereign ruler, which everyone agrees with because you can't, you can't muck around with the definition of a word, but how you apply that definition is different. Because they don't just say, I believe, personally, I believe God is a sovereign ruler. He's Lord of everything. And he's also my saviour. He saved me. A lordship salvation will say, he's not just Lord of everything, he has to be Lord of your life. He has to be the ruler, the master of every part of your life in order for your salvation to be true, to be real. And so, why? Why did I say that this might not apply to you or you might not know about this if you've become a Christian before 1980? It's because this became really prevalent in the Western world, particularly America, in the 1980s. It originally came, the doctrine originally came from the Puritans. So if you want to do some research on the Puritans, then I'm not going to talk about it now, but 1980s was when it really really picked up. And the reason, the why it picked up, it was to address carnality in the church. The church was finding, oh, we have all these Christians that are just so worldly. They're just doing their own thing. How can we address this? Lordship salvation is the answer. Because if you haven't fully surrendered every part of you haven't fully surrendered every part of your life, then you're not really saved. And it's prevalent today. Even I was, wasn't brought up, but when I independently studied salvation, and particularly when I related to my own testimony, I would say, oh yeah, this makes sense. Lordship salvation, yeah. So quickly, why is lordship salvation wrong? I've got my three points. I don't usually do the three points. I'm not a typical Baptist preacher. Three points today. One number one, confuses, Lordship salvation confuses justification with sanctification. Number two, it fails to make dispensational distinctions throughout the Gospels. If you don't know what that means, hang on. Number three, it produces unnecessary doubts in people's assurance of salvation. So number one, it confuses justification with sanctification. How are we saved? We are saved and justified through faith. Did you know there's probably 200 plus, 200 plus passages 
verses that explains that. We're justified by faith. One I just picked out, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope everyone in this room can say that they have peace with God. If you are a Christian in this room, then you have peace with God, even if you don't feel like you have peace with God, okay? It's just a fact. Because you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again the third, the third day, and that's the substitute for your sin, that's peace with God. Quite marvelous. But just because you have peace with God doesn't necessarily mean at this present time you have the peace of God. You could be really struggling right now thinking about something that's just happened this morning or something bad in your life. At the moment, you don't have peace of God, right? But you do have peace with God. My instruction is, as I think someone prayed for, oh, I think Peter prayed for it at the start. Don't be anxious for anything. That's why we're actually having to be instructed about that. <laughs> now, that's justification. We're being made right, right with God because of our faith. Faith only. Faith alone. Next, Romans 6.19. It talks about our sanctification. Now, sanctification is another word that um, I think we might not agree on. Because sanctification can mean two things. First of all, it ultimately means you are set apart. You're set apart for a purpose. So for instance, when you get saved, you become sanctified. But it doesn't stop there. Romans 6.19, for instance. I put this in human terms because you are weak. If you want to know more about this, we went through the whole of chapter 6, um, whenever it was. And so you feel free to get onto Spotify and look that up if you want to know more. Because I'm only going to briefly touch it on it. You are weak in your natural selves, just as you refuse to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness or leading to sanctification. Because a synonym for sanctification in your version of the word might be holiness. And so when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we become holy in God's eyes. But it doesn't stop there. Because our life, from, now, from the moment we place our faith in Christ, becomes a process. It becomes a journey. The journey is from becoming a babe in Christ to one who is in maturity. Or in other words, you could say, we are continually being conformed into the image of Christ. Where one day, regardless of how far you get to that image of Christ, we're all going to be in the image of Christ. And we call that our glorification. So this journey we call sanctification. Personally, I don't like to use the word because it confuses us. Well, no, I, I am set apart. I am set apart once I become saved. But I understand, yes, it's a journey for me and before men to live a life that, is, that, that, that shows that I'm holy, 
So sanctification to me can mean two things. It can be a process, but it also is a time where I've placed my faith. So, for instance, um, 1 Corinthians 6.11, notice what tense. Such were some of you. So he's just said um, in 1 Corinthians 6, um, all those bad people, drunkards, revilers, um, murderers, whoever, um, those who, uh, yeah, <laughs> just read the passage. Um, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. You were sanctified. Past tense. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. So you see how it can mean two things. We are sanctified, but at the same time, we are, we are in the process of being sanctified. And so I've heard discussions that say, oh, what does sanctification actually mean? And, and, and one's saying about, no, we're already sanctified. No, we're being sanctified. It's yes, both, when you put it into context. We're justified by faith. Faith alone. We are being made right with God. We're made right with God with faith alone. Everyone has to agree with that. As I said, 200 plus times in the passage. Then we're on a journey. We're in a process of conforming into the image of Christ. Becoming more and more holy in our eyes. Not in God's eyes. In our eyes. In man's eyes. You might be wondering, okay Tim, but where does repentance comes into it? Repentance. Do you need repentance for salvation? And the answer is yes. How do I say that? Well, for instance, 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I see a contrast there. Do you? He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. Not just the only scripture. Lots of imploring by Peter in the book of Acts. Repent. And so your sins will be forgiven. Repent. And so when it comes to repentance, the definition, it actually means change your mind. No one can dispute that. Change your mind. But, this is where the big but comes in. Change your mind about what? A lordship salvationist would say, change your mind about sin. Change your mind about the life that you're in and turning it around. Or, is it you're changing your mind about Jesus and who he is and what he is able to do for you? I mean, the problem with confusing justification and sanctification is, is that it, it teaches me that I'm able to do something that is actually impossible for me to do without having a changed heart. So we're talking about having the, even the attitude to not sin. 
We're told in Romans 8, if you want to go back there, that kind of mind to be in the flesh, because you're still in the flesh, for you to want to glorify God, it's impossible to do. We only glorify God because the Spirit of God is in us. So just have a think about that. So thinking all through this, I'm convinced repentance can be used as a synonym for faith. I was actually just reading about a church in Russia. They don't say, hey, come have faith in Jesus Christ. They say repent. Now, I'm not sure whether their repentance of, their definition of repentance is about changing your mind about Jesus, but I'm saying, I could tell you, hey, everyone in this room, if you are not saved, repent. And what I'm saying, what I'm encouraging to do is change your mind about who Jesus is. He is Lord of all. He is in control of absolutely everything. He's sovereign. He can save you because he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day. So he proved that he is Lord. If you believe that, if you repent of your belief in that, then you'll be saved. So I could say, repent. So why, why, um, why is, hang in with me if you're still not convinced that it's about sin, okay? Now, where does confession come into it? And this is the discussion that we've been having on Wednesday nights. Always willing for more to join, even though the conversations are going on as it is, but always happy for anyone to ask any question that they want. So let me just give my, um, my, my take on why 1 John 1 9 is here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Paul, uh, John, you, if, if you read this passage and you understand what was happening back then in the church, I believe there will be a firmer understanding of, of why 1 John 1 9 is in there. Because again, a lot of people will say, no, 1 John 1 9 is for Christians. And I say, if it's for Christians, you've just told me, Tim, that I've placed my faith, I'm justified by God, He's forgiven me of, every, of absolutely every sin. He's actually cleansed me from all unrighteousness. This verse implies, if I apply it to myself, that if I sin, then I become a little bit dirty. And I need that cleansing. He's, um, he hasn't forgiven me for all my sins. He's just forgiven me for the ones that I haven't committed yet. I don't believe that. I believe this is once and for all forgiveness. As Hebrews 10.14. By one offering, we have been made perfect in his sight forever. Not just temporarily, forever. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If you are in Christ, you are always work, walking in the light. A lot of people might disagree with me. If you are in Christ, you never go back to being in Adam. Now, you might act like you're in Adam, but you never actually go back to being in Adam. You have completely changed your whole nature, your whole identity. So I like to say walking in the light is like walking in Jesus. And guess what has happened? Because we have fellowship, uh, one with another, and fellowship with God, as, um, as the previous verses say, the blood of Jesus Christ 
cleanses us, has cleansed us from all sin. We could say, we could even, that tense might confuse you there, but I'd say, hey, if you decide today that you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus' blood cleanses you from all sin. However, people weren't convinced that they had sin. We called them Gnostics. In particular, Docetists, Serinthians, if you want to look more into it. If we say that we have no sin, and the people are saying we have no sin, well, we deceive ourselves. In other words, I don't have to, I don't need forgiveness. I already have, they're saying that I have fellowship with the Father. I have fellowship with God. I don't need forgiveness because I don't have sin. But John is saying, if you have no sin, you deceive yourself. And the truth is not in you. And there, but, if you confess, now confess just means agree. If you agree that you have sin, that's it. If you agree that you're a sinner, then God will forgive you. God will cleanse you. Now this is implying that Jesus is the only one that can forgive you. It's implying that you will call upon the name of the Lord, which we see in Romans, which John has been preaching to his three churches that he's addressing, that he's the one that can only cleanse you. He's the one that can only forgive you. So that's where confession comes into play. So we confess Jesus as Lord. At the same time, we're confessing our sins because we won't call up to him if we don't admit that we're if we don't agree that we're a sinner. And so, as I said, if you're still not convinced, this week, look at John chapter 4. I don't have time now. The woman at the well. Look at it. The woman at the well. Um, and actually, I just look at the time, and I think I might stop it there. Um, I might stop it there and conclude this message next week. Uh, next week, and I'll, I'll rearrange my message, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm game to be flexible in this regard. Now, if you just look at John chapter 4. Okay? The woman at the well. Read the story this week. And I'll start off with this next week. Read the story. She's... A woman that's had five husbands. This is the perfect time for Jesus to tell her to repent of her sins. But note what Jesus tells her. He tells her about the gift and doesn't even address her sin other than the acknowledgement that he knows about it. Very interesting. And so I'll just leave it there for now. And as I said, we'll address the next point um, next week. And then I'll see, I'll see what happens from then on. Um, as I said, I get, have, I, have I got people to think? Yeah? And so as I said, I just want you to think about this. Because this is not 
a popular teaching. We're going to be talking about free grace, which is the opposite of lordship salvation. And so hopefully um, I'd love to promote this discussion um, going on into the future. All right, I'll pray, and then I'll ask Peter to come to the front um, to play for us. Heavenly Father, just thank you for um, just grace, because we all believe in grace, but I feel like our understanding of it is, is different. And so I just pray that uh, you'll just bless us now as we close the service and just speak to us. Um, I guess really ignite in us a passion to really get to know your word and, and, and to explore your love because I know the ultimate goal of this is to, to grasp a, a, a firmer, a deeper, a more um, um, comprehensible uh, understanding of your love. Lord, for each and every one of us, which will help us know who you are and it will help us discover more of who we are in Christ. So I just thank you for the time that we have. Again, the privilege we have just to open up your word so freely available to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.